This episode of Little Bit of Life is brought to you and sponsored by We Believe You SOS, supporting our survivors. I found this amazing 501c nonprofit company that has the sole mission of supporting survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. They advocate for all survivors to include military members, veterans, and military spouses. Their motto is, we want survivors to know that when no one else believes you, we believe you. I had the honor of having the founder and co-founder on a previous episode in season one, and I absolutely love their mission, getting involved, and they even have on their website, webelieveyousos.com, a place that you can provide donations. They reach out to the community and help every single survivor. Thank you so much to We Believe You SOS, and please make sure you check them out on webelieveyousos.com. Welcome to Little Bit of Life podcast with your host, Tabitha, better known as Little. A lot of you may know her from social media, but Little is shown off the apps. Dedicated to having the real, raw, and occasional chats about what we seem to think, but don't say. Special guests will join in along the way that have impacted her in a profound way. Very little is left off limits, so sit back, enjoy, and here's your host. Welcome to Little Bit of Life. I am your host, Tabitha, better known as Little on social media. Today, we are talking towards the end of October. Yes, where did the month of October go? I feel like we just started. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And with that, I have an amazing host with me today. Her name is Audrey. She is not only a military member, but someone that's also speaking out on domestic violence. With these statistics, it's just amazing to me. On average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. During one year, that equates to more than 10 million women and men. One in four women and one in nine men experience severe intimate partner physical violence, intimate partner contact, sexual violence, and or intimate partner stalking with impacts such as injury, fearfulness, post-traumatic stress disorder, use of victim services, and so much more. But I have our guest on today, Audrey, because she is an incredible female. She is what I consider an alpha female. She has served and given an oath to this country. She's a mother, but she's also speaking up and speaking out in regards to not staying silent, not being a victim of your violence, not being afraid to speak up and speak out for change. So thank you guys so much for listening and let's get into today's episode. Hey guys, welcome in another episode, a little bit of Life Podcast with Little. Month of October, as we all know, is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. But what does that really mean? When we sit down and we're listening to the victims and we're listening to the stories, what are we doing with that? Are we actually making change or are we just listening and going about our business in our day? For those victims, it is a life-altering, life-changing moment that not only is something you have to heal from the trauma... But it's something that you carry with you the rest of your life. It affects every single relationship, whether you have a personal relationship, a professional relationship with your family, with your support system. I have an amazing guest with me today. I'm so honored to have her on and her very first podcast. Her name is Audrey. How are you doing? Good. Living life. It is a dream one day at a time is what I try and remind myself. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
alive, mm-hmm. living it to the fullest, understanding that we do not have tomorrow. We just have now. Mm-hmm. When I feel like when these months come up, you know, we always have the month of domestic violence awareness. Then we always have um, different months that we try and focus on topics. But I, I don't know. I feel like this is such a deep topic that so many people seem to be posting about it all over social media and they're tagging this of, you know, domestic violence, domestic violence. Okay, but what are you, do you have experience with it as a victim? And then what are we doing? Like I said in the beginning, what are we doing for change? We can sit and talk about something all day long and run it out, but what happens when either it happens to you, it happens to a family member? I feel like that's what it takes for people to really start talking more honestly and open about wanting change. So let's just dive in. What is your experience with domestic violence? Why do we have you on today? Right. So I guess we can start with um, the fact that I was raped multiple times in the military and people kind of just gloss over the fact that that is in fact domestic violence, kind of one of the worst um, forms of it, if you would say. So the first time I was sexually assaulted was in Great Lakes. Um, It was reported Nothing was really done. If you think that six months of somebody losing rank for sexual assault is is justice, it's not. So I asked for that to be changed, and I requested an admiral's mast, and of course, nothing was done. When I arrived to my new duty station in Norfolk, I was really devastated and messed up because I wanted to join the military since I was in second grade. I knew I was going to. I'm from a military family. So I absolutely was devastated in the reaction that the Navy provided. And um, when I got there, it just didn't stop. It was not too long after that that I was raped by uh, Navy personnel. And then I just thought, okay, well, this just will, when will this ever end? And it didn't. Then I got raped by Marines. Um, And I saw the culture around me where people on the Eisenhower were getting raped and chiefs were getting commended by doing that. Or people were experiencing underage drinking. And um, the person that was raped was being charged with that. And the other people were getting promoted or kicked. You know, these people that were rapists were being promoted and other people were being kicked out of the military. So... It was very shocking to me. I definitely um, drank a lot. You know, I wanted to scrub my skin off um, and it just didn't work. I was on active duty and there was no time for me to be upset or sad or it was keep going. Um, and then when you're in a in that kind of situation, when you get raped in the military, you're 80% more likely to become a victim of domestic violence. So if you've been raped in the military, you're now at a 50-50 chance of killing yourself and 80% likely of getting domestic violence, which I did. Um, I was married and the abuse started on active duty, probably physical abuse two days after getting married. Two days after being married, I was already being punched in the face. And it didn't stop there. It just got progressively worse. Um, This man put a gun in my mouth, uh, raped me because I would not comply with what he wanted. He would bash my head through walls. I actually have videos of where he took a marble, like, rolling pin. And every single mark that's on that wall, my head was impacted first. So, um 
I, you know, I, I couldn't believe this was happening and I asked for help. There were nurses that, of course, he beat me while I was pregnant too. There was no, um, no grace period where you think like, okay, well, maybe he'll give a fuck because, you know, I'm carrying his child. He certainly doesn't care that I'm his wife. But maybe he'll care that this this child that's inside of me is worthy of love just the same way I am and not his abuse. But that didn't stop him. And I kept going to medical and kept going and kept going. And this nurse asked me, and I'll never forget it because this is really what you should not do. She said right in front of him, are you being abused? Are you being hurt? And everything in me wanted to scream and say, yes, yes, I am. Like, can you help me? But because she did it in front of him, she took away an opportunity for me and my child. Like, that's what not to do, right? Yeah. Um, There were people at my command that knew what was going on. And they were just like, well, I'm sorry that's happening for you. And I'm like, okay, well, I would like to get out (laughs) of this situation. And then as the violence became worse, where I was beaten to near death all the time, it just became hopeless. You know, I would just listen to songs like Pearl Jam, like Better Man or Rearview Mirror. And I would just be like, okay, I mean, these are songs written about domestic violence. And they would just kind of give me hope, like, Eventually, I will get out of this. But eventually, I thought I would never get out of it because the violence became so bad that when he, there's this one incident where I was in the kitchen preparing food and I just refused to give him a cup. Okay. Like I was making food and I was busy. And um, he came over and he started punching me in the face. And when I say punching in the face, I'm saying every time he hit me, my world turned to black. That's how hard he hit me. And I was in a pool of blood on the floor in the kitchen. And he made my kids eat their dinner. And they kept trying to come to get me off the floor, right? Um, And he refused to let them get their mother off the floor and said, if you guys help her, I'll kill you. So it was just a control tactic to leave me there. But as I laid in that blood, I was like, no matter what, from now on, I will never let my children not see me rise again. So I was in a 12-year abusive marriage to that level People had no idea. I mean, I literally have text message where it says, bitch, you better buy some cover up. Meaning that he's going to attack me in my face because that's what he did. Like, I have this red mark on my face from him punching me. My fucking grill is messed up because that's all he wanted to do was just hurt me in every single way. But I rose every single time. And my children would say, mom, just just stop. Like, stop getting up. But after that day, I refused. Like, you were going to kill me or knock me out, right? Like, um, so I knew, like, I can fight this. I can get out of this. I don't know how it's going to happen. Um, I asked people Mm -hmm. to help, and they didn't help. They just turned their eyes to it. Like, they were ashamed for me. And I'm not the one that's supposed to carry the blame for that at all. Mm -hmm. But being raped by your husband... While you're in the military, 
is devastating, especially after you've already been raped by people who are supposed to be your brothers. Like, I literally went to these people for help after somebody gave me a date rape jug, and they raped me instead. Instead of letting me rest or recover, they made the choice to rape me instead, right? But then you're in this relationship with your partner who's supposed to love and care for you, and they don't, not at all whatsoever. And the rates in the military of domestic violence are excruciating high. The fact is, by the end of this year, 30,000 people will either be raped, sexually harassed, or sexually assaulted in the military. And so if we're looking at it in reality, 80% of those people are going to be exposed to domestic violence. That means over 24,000 service members and their family members are now going to be Mm -hmm. in the lines of domestic violence. It's an excruciatingly high number. And people are saying that retention rates in the military are low. Of course they are. You are giving generational trauma to your military lineage. The people that would absolutely Mm -hmm. serve this country with honor, you have now exposed their family and their children to domestic violence. You are killing your ranks from within and allowing the people Mm -hmm. that are perpetrators to ruin something amazing. We are the strongest fighting force in the nation. In the world, we're badasses and we are hurting ourselves from within. The people that are raped in the military have some of the best qualities I've ever seen in my life. These are warriors. That's why I say we're Amazonians. We are warriors. Um, and we are we represent the best in the military. We absolutely do. And instead of understanding that this is not going to stop in the military, but we need to mitigate We need to implement change. I'm not here to rage and complain against the military. I'm here to offer solutions that can actually help. And you're like, oh, well, what qualifications do you have for that? Well, Mm -hmm. I happen to have a degree in security risk analysis and in cybersecurity. So I might have this whole kind of thing of risk mitigation down packed. So there's so many of us that are angry and upset but we have solutions. So understand our pain, understand our rage from it, understand that every day I wake up and I have to see physical damage to my face, um, that I have to wake up and immediately be flashbacked to an incident where I was almost stabbed with a knife, beaten so badly that my kids literally saved my knife that day. If they had not interceded, I would be dead, period. But that's what I see every single day when I see my face, right? I see these marks. And people will say to me, well, it's cute. Like, (laughs) the red mark above my face is not cute to me. The traumatic brain injury that I have from being beaten in the head with baseball bats and shoved through the walls is not cute to me. And the fact that I have a traumatic brain injury that was sustained on active duty that's not from combat. Mm -hmm. And you could say, well... It's not really, that is combat. I survived 12 years of massive, terrible abuse, being tortured for no reason. So 
Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's when we so look bothersome. At the that numbers, that. I think like, that we live in a world. You, that no, no, I, I, I don't. It's disturbing and disgusting I'm pretty when sure we're being that's real with enough. it. But everybody like, wants the facts. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about you know the twenty-two a day, that's not even a normal number. It's way more than twenty-two a day. When we're talking about the numbers of domestic violence, sexual assault, I mean, it all encompasses each other. It's all like its own little bubble that one thing reflects the next, which leads to the next. Yes, and yes. when we have people that may be listening that are not familiar with the military, maybe they weren't raised in a military family, they don't have any military background. When I do polls, and I I try and do a lot of interactive different posts and stuff with social media platforms, because I always try and stay streamlined in the middle, thinking, you know, I was raised in a military family. I understand kind of the behind the scenes, the darkness that is involved with the military, that the reason we do these episodes and topics is because it's all the things that people think about, but they don't say. They don't want to say. It's like this fear of hands-off military. But when I do the polls, it's very interesting to me when I talk about those numbers that instead of breaking the cycle, which as society in civilian world, we're raised of if there's something wrong and it's traumatic and we're dealing with rape, domestic violence, break the cycle, break the cycle. But that's why we're doing this episode is because in the military, we are just progressing the cycle. It's becoming worse for each generation. And for those that do not have experience in the military, and I want to ask you this question, and I definitely want to have your feedback on it. I know my standpoint, but I want it to come from someone who has not only dealt with trauma for so long, but has been active in the military and dealt with that both in the military and the civilian world, because it's feeling you're at home, you're dealing with that battle at home. Their mindset is, oh, well, you're in the military, you have a government position, so called you have this complete access to every type of help, to therapists, mm-hmm. to medical. We know, I mean, your reaction, if people could see this right now, we know that reaction. But that is the standpoint of, oh, well, you're in the military. You have access to everything and everything you would need. What was your experience when you reached out for help? What was, how was the help, Not how was your story not even listened and heard? Because I always say those are two different things. But what was the help that the military provided to you? so i have various incidents right so i'm just gonna have to um um, pull for one but you know being raped multiple times by different perpetrators at different times from the period of 2004 to 2005 um help was i mean you can go to base And you can go to the doctor's office and we'll just take the fact that I was injured as well in the military. So um, we have this mentality of a broke dick, right? So if you go to medical, if you reach out, you are weak. You are a broke dick. Uh You are weakness to this, this platoon, right? And then if you're weak to this platoon, you are weak to this unit. Getting help in, especially mental health. Are you kidding me? And then mental health that's regards to rape. It's like, well, why are you going there? Mm-hmm. Like, what What do you mean? Who are you talking to? So it's always like, well, you know what? Um, I don't think you can yep. go to that appointment today because you're going to have duty today instead. Right? So, mm-hmm. yes, there's access. But that doesn't mean that the quality of doctors are going to be great. Right? I, I broke my foot. They wouldn't even give me an x-ray. And let alone mental health. 
you know, or having the fact that when you're raped in the military, it's a shame for the military, apparently, and they don't want you to get help. And we have the highest rate of suicide on active duty and not active duty. When you get out, you're still dealing with this trauma every single day. So no, the help is not there. And especially when I was in a SARC, are you kidding me? And then half the times that there is a SARC, They're either getting pressure from their command Mm -hmm. or they're just not going to respond in the right way at all whatsoever. You know, they're supposed to be there not to influence your decision. But we all know that that's not true. That's not true. Your words have power, right? So if you tell someone, you know, as in my case, it would probably Mm -hmm. be best if you kind of let the command handle this and I come from a military family. So of course I want to be a team player, right? I want to do what's good for the command. They don't want to do what's good for me. Now I can't say that that's every single command, but it's what I've seen the majority of it Mm -hmm. be. And no, there's not good mental health resources because when you go there, they will call your command Mm -hmm. and say, so-and-so is here, even though they're not supposed to, even though there's HIPAA laws, Mm -hmm. that doesn't really apply in the military. HIPAA laws, that doesn't apply, okay? (laughs) I mean, you have people accessing records that don't belong them that are perpetrators. So how can you speak freely? How can you actually go to a doctor's office or a therapist and talk about what's really happening when you're terrified that that person might be in that chain of command or their friend might be, and they're going to pass that information on. And now you're in danger because at any time they can choose to end your life and say it's a friendly fire accident or say it's a training accident. Mm -hmm. So you have to live in fear of just being on the fact that you decided to put your uniform on. You did not take an oath to get raped. It's a little different that, you know, if my PTSD was related from combat, fine. No problem. I made the decision to serve my country. I have an enlistment oath. It's right over there. I read my oath every single day because as far as I'm concerned, my oath to this country has not ended Mm -hmm. until this has really, really reduced in in reduction in rates here for sure. Um. But in my enlistment, though, it does not say rape. You guys want to add that so the people that are mm-hmm. raping us actually mm-hmm. have some honor so that, that I feel we can the kick them out immediately. That, that's fine. Let's that change this is a the problem. enlistment oath um, to include this is, the this word This is a pandemic rape. that we're dealing with within inside the military Why walls. Not? It's something that nobody wants to talk about. It's something that the media creates a narrative. We saw it with Vanessa when she disappeared April of 2020. We're now seeing this come back around full circle, unfortunately, with other soldiers that are now feeling, okay, yes, I can speak out. But it's almost this, I'm a victim, I want to speak out. That takes so much courage and so much guts, like you said, to come out and actually say, I need help or something's going on. Um, We saw it with Denisha Montgomery Smith. She sent that audio and video to her own family of leaving that digital footprint of if something happens to me. And that's why we have to talk about this as when people think domestic violence, you know, they think, oh, okay, well, why don't you leave? Why don't you get help? And unless you've been in those shoes and unless Mm -hmm. you have gone through that trauma, no one will understand. But I feel that there's such this rise of military. It happens to men and women, but mostly women as of right now 
that are coming out and starting to speak up. And it's so it's heartbreaking to me because most of these women have lost their lives. And that's what it's taking to get the attention of people to want a change. And I don't and, and we see it all the time. The military is covering things up or changing their narrative to fit of what happens behind those walls. And that's why we are doing episodes like this to, I always say, rustle the feathers. Mm-hmm. And I know every listener is not going to listen to this and be like, okay, yes, I agree. Or why are you doing everything with the military? These are the men and women, like you said, that are giving an oath to protect our country. So why in return are we not providing protection for themselves, their mental health, their physical mm-hmm. health, their well-being. That's where it starts. So if we're creating men and women as soldiers to protect our country, what kind of generational men and women of soldiers are we going to be creating in the future? And how does that look for protecting us when they have no protection themselves? So that leads me to, I love, first off, with all of your scars and with everything you look at, you are phenomenally gorgeous and beautiful and strong. I look at you and I just think, wow, like I cannot imagine not only something you've endured once, but not twice, but for 12 years, your home is to be your safe place. Your spouse is to be your supporter and your partner. So every time you look in a mirror, I know it that trauma kicks back every second of every day. You'll have triggers that never goes away. Right. What led you to create what you're doing now? Like, it's a movement. You are a badass female that is coming out strong-handed of, I have something to mm-hmm. say, and if you don't like it, please continue to listen because I want to. I want change. So where has your trauma led you to where you're at now? Um, so I just, you know, I started to really look around and I started to progress. Like I remember when, you know, Vanessa was murdered, I couldn't even bear to turn the TV on. Like I just could not. Right. It was so triggering Mm -hmm. for me that I was just like, I can't, I can't do it. I can't believe that after getting out off of active duty in 2009, that this is still happening. Right. And it was, it was so devastating for me. So I was like, well, maybe if I can have the courage to speak and put light in this darkness, then I can help others because no one should have to suffer as long as I did mentally. I have literally given my body physically, I have a disease that's not curable, the rarest nerve disorder, the highest known man, you know, known to man, um, CRPS type two from the military and their neglect. And then I was raped. So you've gotten my body, you've got a disease that's trying to kill me. And you've gotten my mind, right? So I was like, well, I've already given my life to this country in 2004. So I refuse to let my sisters and brothers suffer as much as I have. I cannot tolerate it. And um, after I got into my second domestic violence relationship, I fled, right? They say, leave. I left. I left with nothing. I left with my children and my dog and my cat. And that's it. Like not my car, not my possessions, not everything I had worked for my whole entire life um, and became homeless, right? And so your first response is like, well, maybe, you know, they were like, everyone go to the VA. I'm 100% service connected. So I did. I went to the VA. 
And they said, we don't care that you're sleeping in a car. We don't care that you're sleeping in a tent. You're over income. We can't help you. And I'm like, I have nothing. I'm, I'm in a car. Like, what? Are you serious? So at this point, when veterans become homeless, you're at a 90% chance of killing yourself. I was still homeless and I'm, I'm, I left, right? Everybody says, leave, leave, right? So I left and then there was no resources. There's no help. Did you know that because of my kids are over the age of one, that we were not allowed in a woman's shelter that's run by the VA? Because apparently domestic violence only happens when your children are from the age of zero to one. But we know that domestic violence is directly service connected to being raped in the military. So why, why are we doing that? Right. So I literally saw all these veterans being turned away and the VA has a 30% discretionary fund. So they can, so I'm not going to put it all on Congress here with that. Uh, if you're a hundred percent and you have PTSD and I don't care if it's combat or military sexual trauma, if your head is fucked up, and you become homeless, you deserve shelter, period. I, I don't care what the situation is. You do not deserve to sleep on concrete like I did, ever. Um, so I just started thinking, like, this is this mm-hmm. is such a systematic um, problem. I'm seeing so many vets out here that are are suffering like I am. So I was like, well, what can I do here? I was like, okay, I can get pop-up campers. I can rehab them. And I can put veterans in here. I can bridge the gap myself. Like I can put people into healing, right? Because I can't heal you or use board sport therapy that I use with trauma-based informed Mm -hmm. stuck points until I get you housed, period. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go after that. I'm going to make that happen while I was Mm -hmm. homeless. (laughs) Like I – um. I was like I had this vision, right? And I was just like I was in California and I was just like – I started mapping it out like, you know, how these are all the issues I see. I started using this degree I have to good use. And I was like, you know, (laughs) I was like, I got to do something here. So that's what I did. And then I I started really thinking (laughs) about how, you know, CBT, uh, trauma Uh force therapy stuck points are are helpful. And I always hear veteran stuck points, like where they hear where they're like, "I'm, I'm ashamed of being raped. And I say, well, why, why are you ashamed? And they're just like, oh, I didn't fight back hard enough. So I let them say these things to me. And then I hit them back with facts. Like, well, no, you're alive right now. You have survived to this point, to this day. And you have not ended your life because you've chosen to be here. So you don't have this shame to carry anymore. And so I was like, well, I can use one wheels. Like for me, one wheels, board sports, adaptive sports, that helps reduce my suicidal ideation because I wake up every day. And I think this is very important to say that it's okay to say that you wake up every day and want to die, right? Like the fact, this is a, this, I have complex PTSD. I have tried to kill myself. I put a Glock 17 in my mouth and pulled the trigger last year because I felt hopeless. Like there was no help. I've reached out to everyone and they're all just saying, fuck you and your kids. You're on your own. Like, so when you get to that point and then you're having flashbacks of being raped and you were physically abused constantly and there's kind of like nothing left. But the, the, it's, you know, 
it jammed in the slide. My gun was dirty. My weapon was dirty. So I'm supposed to be here, right? But I want people to know that I wake up and there are moments where it comes in. I don't know when it's going to come in where I'm like, these suicidal ideation thoughts come in, right? And so I have to do a breathing exercise to dis, you know, regulate this trauma cycle, re-regulate into myself, um, and then come in and counter with like, I need to be here for my kids. I need to be here for myself. I'm choosing to be alive today and I cannot affect change if I'm dead. Right. So, but it's okay to talk about that. Like that should not be covered up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay for me to be suicidal the days. It's not okay for me to take my life. Right. So I just want vets to know out there that like you're not alone and it's okay to talk about it. Like I know that it's usually the thing where we say, you know, it's, it's a shameful thing. I'm not ashamed that someone else decided to rape me and that I have to struggle every single day. I'm not ashamed that I have to deal with the physical and psychological trauma of someone choosing to abuse me constantly for over 12 years. I'm not ashamed about it. Like you can't hurt me with that shit. But what is hurtful is to keep these thoughts to yourself. So I I just want other vets to know, like, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to share about it. It doesn't make you weak. In fact, I believe it makes you incredibly fucking strong um, to recognize that this is a, this is something that, you know, you get to, it's a battle. PTSD is a battle. You are fighting for your life every single day. You are fighting for being alive. Um, yeah, so that just led me into this mm-hmm. this path of saying, like, I have to bridge the gap. Like, I could mm-hmm. see for that, you know, in my own healing that I've had healed enough and that we're on a battlefield. And I'm just trying to pull every single person I can up with me. I don't want anyone in that darkness anymore. I want them to come into the light. I want them to see that there's a different path here. And I refuse to be a person that's going to stand in front of them or behind them. I am a lateral kind of person. I stand with you. I stand shoulder to shoulder with you as you go through this journey of healing. The path is yours. I'm just standing with you to walk with you, to walk the walk of a warrior. That brings us to the Amazonian Warrior Foundation. Um, I will be putting this link in the bio so everyone can go and take a look. Um, Even when I sit and look at the website, I'm just in awe of the professionalism, but also on the same link of the emotional rawness of the mission of what you're standing for and what you're trying to push for change, because it's never easy coming out and talking about feelings, especially with the veteran community, but it's also something to share your story with so many people because you're literally standing on a stage of people that may support you. But there's also that other flip side of they may come for you. They may come after you of like, you know, well, why are you discussing this? Why? It's almost this shameful thing of, you know, you're a victim, but you're in the military. So you shouldn't be speaking out because you're making the military look bad and you're making us look bad. But if if you're listening to this and you're still with us, she said this many times. And I've had many guests that are military related, even through the trauma, even through all of the battle and the PTSD and everything that has happened for most, if not all military members, they still have the respect, the honor 
for their men and their women, their brothers and their sisters. They still want to protect those that are still in and those that are maybe out and they're struggling. And they have never once, and that's why I'm making this a key point for listeners that maybe, you know, on that flip side of, eh, I don't know why we're talking about this again, because it has to happen because never once have my guest degraded or put down the military. And when you sit and think about, you know, domestic violence and sexual assault, and you just sit and think about all of the wrongdoing, as humans, our brain is wired and set to push that away, to basically get revenge and go after this. But when you look at the oath that these men and women have taken, they're still protecting the one government that was supposed to protect them. Like, that's massive to me, that you're wanting the change but you're still protecting your brothers and your sisters that are going through it and battling through all of their PTSD that may be listening right now that are going through domestic violence, sexual assault. But you're not – you're trying to hold the military responsible. It's why we're doing these topics because at the end of the day, when is it going to change? But when are we going to hold those abusers responsible? And that's what we're doing this episode today. So – I know you have a very exciting event that's coming up that I wanted to talk about and share, um, especially with the Amazonian Warrior Foundation. What is coming up? What is this big news that I want to just project out there? And if you're in this area, please, please support this. So in the D.C. area at the Fountain Inn, we're having a whiskey fundraiser tasting event. Um, I happen to love whiskey. Um, I'm a whiskey ambassador. And whiskey can be used for good. And I know some people, you know, have um, addiction issues and they're like, alcohol is bad or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So a lot of that has to deal with, with not dealing with your trauma. So at the Amazonian Warrior Foundation, we firmly believe in dealing with your trauma to get through in life, right? So that you can't put this off anymore. So eventually, you know, we're looking to build transitional houses in various um, areas that are impacted by sexual assaults the most or where veterans are transitioning out the most. So, you know, we've targeted San Diego, um, areas in NorCal, Chicago, Virginia Beach. But what's really neat is these places all have adaptive sports in place already. We just kind of have to put the housing there because this is a barrier to military families that we have all these great programmings, but we can't get to them. Or if you're disabled, Mm -hmm. you can't utilize them. So we're fundraising money so that way we can actually build our one wheel and snowboarding and surfing adaptive communities, but have housing for military sexual trauma families and those with combat PTSD so that when you get out, you and your family have a new boot camp to go to. But it's trauma-informed based stuck points with fun, right? So we get to use board sports, but we can't disassociate from our pain. And you're around a community that loves and cares for you because these are veterans that understand and will never break the bond that we have with each other. I absolutely love the military. I want my military fixed. That's all. I want my military to shine with honor, courage, and commitment. I live those values every single day. I have given an oath to my country, and until I'm dead, I will execute that. You know, so the problem is, is that we're forgetting to take care of our own. So we have um, a hydroponic system set up. And we deal with food disparity. So we actually take food that we grow um, from this or we make zucchini bread 
and we go into different communities. So we go up to Philly and we'll make zucchini bread and we'll give it to our brothers and sisters that are unhoused. That means that they're sleeping in tents and they're not coming out of those tents, right? But you also give them to the children in that area. And it shows because food disparity in this country is a serious, serious issue. And the rates of military families that have food disparity are astronomical. People just assume that it's going to be okay and that you're in the military and you have all these benefits. No, our kids, our military families, they're starving. Their fridges are not full. But it allows kids in that community to see that we have not forgotten our brothers and sisters, that no matter how far away, we will drive up there and we will take care of them and we'll also take care of you. And if that's not a way to get a kid to join the military or at least have appreciation for the military, I don't know what is. But we Mm -hmm. have vets dying here every single day. They're homeless. They need our help. And so that's what we're doing at the Amazonian Warrior Foundation. We are not ignoring this situation anymore. We're standing right there next to them and saying, let's go get after it. So that's what we just want people to do is to come and get after it with us. Be the change you want to see. I appreciate you coming on, sharing your story. I always am so grateful for guests. Um, I always tell everyone that comes on this platform, I'm just providing the safe space without the negative comments and the judgment. And this is a place that I allow everybody to come on and girl, they can have the negative (laughs) comments. I have a polygraph (laughs) and telling their story because I feel that we always need a safe space to be able to be listened and heard, um, to be accepted for not only the trauma that we've, we don't ask for it at the end of the day. Like you said, we didn't ask to be raped. We didn't ask to go through this trauma. We didn't ask for this, but it means so much to me as a host to have individuals like yourself on because the more we're able to speak up and talk about topics like this, the more it's not going to just be accepted, listened to, and then just passed on and just wait for the next scenario to come up with the next victim. I feel that's kind of the cycle that we're in right now, which when we think about that is so absolutely disgusting and disturbing to me. It's I don't know. I mean, I talked to so many people in the military, and it it seems to be across the board, this frustration based and backed by passion of how much more is it going to take? How drastic does this problem really need to get? But for listeners that may be stating, you know, I mean, I've gotten some feedback of, you know, I don't understand why you're doing so much with the military. And, you know, we've kind of heard it all. You haven't heard it all. Because every story is different. Every victim is different. And the reason that we continue to do this is I don't think for listeners, you guys understand how hard it is for someone like Audrey to come on and share her story. Because when victims share their story, whether military or civilian, it puts you back into that moment in time Mm -hmm. that you're stuck. So I cannot thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on for sharing your story. Um, I'm going to be putting your website in the bio and all of your social media because if you are a veteran and you're listening and you feel that maybe you don't have a support system, maybe you're active and you're on base and you're like, you know, what she's what she said she went through, I'm going through. You're never mm-hmm. by yourself. You are never alone. Just because your story is different does not mean your scenario needs to make you feel ashamed or to stay quiet. 
So, Audrey, I thank you for coming on. I want everyone to, like you said, go for it, push for it, be the voice. The more people that we get that are badasses that come together, we're going to start making a movement. We're going to start rustling those feathers and making a wave. So, again, thank you for coming on. You're just you're just amazing. I just love you to death. Thanks. And I would just say that um, we do – I do have people that contact me that are on active duty, whether they're they're combat or have been raped. And um, I go right to work. Yeah. I go, you know, so I have my nonprofit, but I also advocate. And, you know, I have to I have to call people that have, you know, traumatic brain injuries and I have to call the VA and try to get them mental health counseling. Mm-hmm. The system is very broken, but you are not alone. If I cannot help you, you're goddamn straight. I will find somebody that will. I will not rest until that you are okay. Um, so if you need help and you're listening right now and you feel like that you're, you're, you are alone, you are not. Your sister is right here. And I have brothers and sisters that are silent supporters that are here for you too. So don't you ever think that you're not worthy of love or um, that you are loved. You are loved by us. I mean, you are a warrior. I do not believe I am a victim, right? I am a warrior. I am an Amazonian. I have forged my path. I have purposely put myself where people call me and they're suicidal every day. And I get triggered every day because I know what it's like to be in that darkness. And I just don't want you to stay there anymore. Just come be in the light. I didn't say it was easy. I didn't say it was going to be fun all the time, but we're going to have as much fun as we can. Right. So, but thank you for having me. I super appreciate it. This is Little signing off. Thank you for listening. I'll see you for the next episode. And thank you so much to all of our sponsors. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Little Bit of Life. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow on your favorite platform. And interact with the podcast Facebook as well as on Instagram at littlecute1az. We'll see you next time.